Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today's broadcast is entitled Living After the Flesh. I received a great question this week from a friend at church about a statement in Romans chapter 8, specifically verse 13, and what this verse is actually teaching, what this verse means. Romans 8.13 reads, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. What is Paul saying here? Is this a heaven and hell lesson? Is this a living forever here in the world lesson? If I could mortify the lust of my flesh fully, does that mean that I wouldn't actually ever die in this world? You know, the more I live here, the more I realize that that would actually be a pretty terrible thing to endure, living forever in this sin-cursed earth, living forever with my own sinfulness that I have to fight and to mortify, living in a world where wicked people harm innocent people. I could go on and on and on about the reasons that I wouldn't want to live in this world forever. Is that Paul's lesson here, that I could mortify my lusts of the flesh so much that I could live forever in this world? Or is Paul sharing something that we would refer to as experimental? That is to say, regarding human experience, the word that people generally use today would be experiential, something that relates to our life in the world, not necessarily something that's eternal, even though you can't extract these concepts, these experimental concepts from our eternal life. They're built on our eternal life. Something experimental, though, has reference to our experience here, life in the world and not the world to come. Well, in short, what Paul is saying is that as born-again people— as people who are born again, and this will be very clear from the context in just a moment, the way we live as born-again people still impacts our quality and also longevity of life. You and I can have a better life if we are obedient to Christ, or we could actually cut our lives short if we are living in sin and disobedient to Christ. Now, let's back up and consider the context of this passage, all the different concepts that Paul would write about here, digging back into Romans chapter 7 and going through Romans chapter 8 up until this point. And I believe that that will be very clear, that what Paul is saying, he's saying to a regenerated audience, and it relates to their life and their quality of life here in this world, their happiness, their assurance, their joy, etc. Backing back up into the context, Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, of his life before and after the new birth. In Paul's mind, he was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and he died. And I believe what he's talking about in Romans 7, verses 9 and 10, I believe he's talking about the moment that he was born again. There was a time in Paul's life that he thought he was doing just fine. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He thought he was justifying himself according to the works of the law. He really believed that he was doing everything that he needed to be right and righteous in the sight of God. But then God's commandment came. And you see this happening to him in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus. As Paul, carrying letters to round up and arrest Christians, is confronted by Christ. 
Now, at the new birth, at everyone's new birth, they are quickened when they were dead in trespasses and in sins. Paul was persecuting the church, thinking he did God a service, because he was deceived. He was hateful and hating one another. He was dead in trespasses and in sins. Plug in whichever unregenerate passage that you want to use there. And he thought he was doing God a service by rounding up Christians prior to his new birth. Now, the commandment to life came. Everyone who is born of the Spirit is born again the same way as the wind blows, and they're born again through the call of the voice of the Son of God to life. So this is a John five twenty four and 25 example. If you want to think about that passage, they hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, this doesn't say that they hear the physical text of the Bible, and it doesn't say that they hear the preacher's voice. But the call to life is literally through the voice of the Son of God. Just like when Lazarus was raised from the dead after he had been dead some four days by the voice of Christ, so are the souls of God's people quickened immediately, that is to say, just by Christ himself in the moment of the new birth. Now, you and I can affect a person's conversion If God has quickened someone, we can preach, the Holy Spirit blesses that to work, but until Christ quickens someone, there's simply nothing that you and I can do. They are yet in their sins. Well, the commandment came to life. That is to say, God called Paul from death and sin to life in Christ. He thought he had been alive once, but he was not. The commandment came, sin revived, he died, and the commandment which was ordained to life he found to be unto death. Now, Paul is speaking of the law here, and at the moment of the new birth, after Paul had been saved when he was previously dead in trespasses and in sins, he thought the law was going to earn his way into righteousness. Now he realizes, after he is born of the Spirit of God, that the law actually condemned him, and sin, taking advantage by the commandment, worked in him all manner of concupiscence. So it's such an interesting thing, the experience of a child of God, especially if they're a pharisaical child of God, before and after their new birth, before and after their salvation experience. Paul thinks he's doing all right. He thinks he's doing great. He's proud. He is zealous in the law, but God quickens him, and he suddenly realizes that that law that he thought he was keeping for life and for righteousness' sake had actually condemned him, and not only had it condemned him, but his sin caused him, when he heard the law, to violate the very law that he heard, unbeknownst to him many times. We are in such a dreadful state when we are unregenerate that We don't even realize how terrible we actually are. But we are, again, deceived, hateful, hating one another, dead in trespasses and in sins. We really struggle to find the sufficient words to describe how actually depraved we are without Christ in the world. After the new birth, after Paul is born again, he begins talking about how the law is good. The law is spiritual, but he's carnal, sold under sin. And then he describes his present post-new birth struggle. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, things I want to do, you might say, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. You might think he's speaking double talk or riddles here, but what Paul is saying is there are things he wishes he could do, he wants to do, things that are holy and good and spiritual that he would do, but he doesn't do them But then he turns around and he does things that he actually hates. Why is that? Because he's still a sinful person. He still has the flesh, 
even though the Spirit has entered into his heart, changing him vitally. He's a different person after the new birth. He goes on, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it's good. It's not the law's fault that I do sinful things. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Why does Paul continue to sin after the new birth? Because Paul still has sin in his members. If any man say he has no sin, he deceives himself. The truth is not in him. He's deceiving himself. Now, I know that this radio broadcast goes out to a very diverse group of individuals each time it airs on each station upon which it airs. So if you belong to a group of people that teaches sinless perfection after the new birth, please understand, as angry as this makes you perhaps to hear, after the new birth, you still have sin as a part of your being until glorification, which will happen at the second coming of Christ, when we are fully conformed to his image, we still have sin. We still have flesh. We still have that nature that we call the flesh that causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Sometimes well-meaning Christians will say, well, God takes one nature away and gives you another nature in the new birth, but that flesh is not taken away in the new birth. We still have that nature all the days of our lives until we lay this body down and our soul, that which is quickened of God, goes to be with him in glory. If our body is living in the world and we're not yet glorified, we yet have the nature of sin. This is why I don't want to live forever in this world. But I look for the world to come. I look for a world where I don't struggle with sin. I look for a world where I don't have to put to death the lusts of the flesh, whichever of the lusts of the flesh it is. And different lusts might affect you than me, but we're all affected, even after salvation, by the lusts of the flesh. Paul says when he does things that he wouldn't do, it's not him, the true him, you should say, that's doing it, but the sin that dwells in him. Then he goes on to say, for I know that in me, parentheses, that is in my flesh, the fleshly part of him, as it were, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. There are times when Paul wanted to do good things, but he couldn't do good things because he simply lacked the strength in that moment, even though he wanted to do that which would please God. Now, it's amazing to hear Paul confess that this is how he felt about his own experience. If you're hearing this today and you're thinking, wow, that's amazing, that's exactly how I feel, well, beloved, take heart, because that's how we all feel. If we're born again and we're honest with ourselves, that's how we're all going to feel, because, well, that's simply the way a born-again person is. For the good that I would, I do not, he repeats himself, but the evil which I would not, that do I. I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do good things that I want to do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Repeating again the point that he made in verse 17. I find that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, he's been referring to the law of God previously in this chapter, but when he says, I find in a law, he's saying this is as if it is a law itself, like gravity or any of the other laws of nature. It is a law in my life that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Part of me is rejoicing in the word of God. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the laws of sin, which is in my members. Paul then states this other law that when he would do good, evil is present with him. There's a law in him warring against the law of his mind and 
bringing him into captivity with the law of sin, which is in his members. Obviously, this passage takes some rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding what each occurrence of the word law has reference to. Now, Paul has given you his experience here. He's expressed to you his life before the new birth. He's expressed to you his life after the new birth and the struggle that he has in his flesh in verses 15 through 23. But notice what he says here in verse 24. After saying all of that, he begs this question, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I once heard a man say that it's a rather unfortunate thing that Amazing Grace used the word wretched and was so popular because we, as saved people, shouldn't think of ourselves as wretched. And of course, my mind immediately went to Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, O wretched man that I am. That is a fine way to describe myself and to describe you without Christ in the world. Without Christ, we are wretched. O wretched man that I am. And Paul still has this nature that makes him feel very wretched because this wretched nature that he yet still has through the old man, through Adam, it affects him every single day. And again, he says, it's not me that does this, but sin that dwells in me. But nonetheless, the sinful things happened. And so Paul says, I'm a wretched man. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25 gives us the answer. How is deliverance going to come? And the answer to that is, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Throughout this description of his experience and what he knows through Christ, he draws this distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And much of what we're going to read in chapter 8, as we answer this question, what does verse 13 of Romans chapter 8 mean, is going to revolve around this language of spirit and flesh. But I want you to see that Paul gives us the answer to the problem. The answer to the problem of my wretchedness is Christ Jesus. And I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore... Now, therefore means that what he's previously spoken about is going to be summarized. How will I be delivered from the body of this death? Well, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. To those in Christ, now there is no condemnation. Now, you and I might experience condemnation of our conscience. We might experience some temporal judgment and condemnation in this world or some divine chastening. But as it relates to eternity, as it relates to what we would call positionally, well, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. To those who, as he begins to describe them, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And those are states of being, walking after the flesh versus walking after the Spirit. He's not yet to a practical point. He's still giving positional statements here. So understand that when we say walk after the Spirit, what he means there are people who have been born of the Spirit, and as we will see in a moment, their disposition has changed because they're born of the Spirit. Those who are dead in trespasses and in sins, they walk only after the flesh. They have no Spirit of God within them, and so they walk after the flesh totally and completely. As he describes those who walk after the flesh and those after the Spirit, he's referring to those who are unregenerate and therefore reprobate, or 
those who are born of the Spirit of God and have all the struggles that he's already talked about in the previous chapter. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so, elaborating on some things that he said, if you're born of the Spirit, if you walk after the Spirit, you're in the state of being of spiritual life, as it were, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. And, as we read, there's therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You are a saved person. Even though you struggle in this world, you have been delivered from your wretchedness through God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so praise God. Thank God for that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25. Now, skipping down to verse 5, just to further emphasize how he's contrasting the regenerate and the unregenerate at this portion of Romans chapter 8, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, these are statements involving the change in disposition that comes with salvation. And so when he says they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, he's saying that if a person is yet in their sins, if they are dead in trespasses and in sins, well, they mind the things of the flesh. And at the same time, those that are after the Spirit or born of the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that all of God's children all the time always, in every way, and in all things, mind the things of the Spirit. Our verse that we're studying in verse 13 is a warning that you and I are debtors not to mind the things of the flesh. But here in verse 5, he's still speaking of the states of being of the regenerate and the unregenerate, the reprobate and the righteous. Notice how this is further substantiated in verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now again, he's drawing a distinction between the unregenerate and the regenerated. If you only have the carnal mind that you have naturally through Adam, you're a natural man, the gospel is foolish to you, the preaching of the cross is foolish to you. You don't receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolish to you. You're dead in trespasses and in sins. You do the things of this world exclusively. You're deceived by the prince of the power of the air. You are by nature a child of wrath, even as others, hateful and hating one another, no fear of God before your eyes, etc., etc., etc. If a person is not born again, that's their mind, and that's why they're referred to here as carnally minded. And to be carnally minded in this sense, not to be a Christian that behaves carnally, but to be carnally minded, is tantamount to death. In other words, they are literally dead to spiritual things, dead in trespasses and in sins. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's great life and peace that comes with knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this elaborated on in verses 7 and 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind, and as we read carnal mind here again, we're not describing a Christian who can behave himself carnally or some disobedient child of God that falls into sin because he thinks carnal things. We're talking about a mind that is completely carnal. We can be carnal in our Christian behavior, 
and I'm using those words on purpose because some Christian teachers in today's world teach that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, quote, unquote. But Paul tells the Corinthians, these born-again people who will be confirmed to the end, who are called to be saints, that they are indeed yet carnal. You and I can be carnal as Christians in that sense. But as far as being carnally minded, this means literally that their mind is totally depraved and as such, the carnal mind being enmity against God, they are in full enmity against the God of the universe. Their carnal mind is in enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Look at verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh, and previous to this we have after the flesh, we have the carnal mind, and it's all describing the same type of person. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this hails back to what Paul was talking about with the law in Romans chapter 7. If I am an unregenerate person, there is no keeping of the law that I can pretend to do in order to please God. Now, this speaks against some things in today's culture that sometimes Christians believe. If a person is completely carnal as far as being carnally minded, yet in the flesh, unregenerate, reprobate, nothing they do will please God. Nothing they can do will please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and faith is a byproduct of the new birth. It's of the operation of God. Christ has altered and finished it within His children. And so, if I'm an unregenerate, nothing I can do will please God. It is impossible for me to please Him. By the way, the only way that you and I can please Him is through Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In that final day, as I stand before a holy God... My plea will be in Christ and His righteousness, not in my own, because there's nothing that Ben Winslet can do by nature that is going to be pleasing to God. It takes Christ in me to please Him. It takes Christ's righteousness given to me on that last day to be worthy to stand before Him. Anything that you and I have that's worth anything is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but notice verse 9. And this is how we know verse 13 is a practical lesson and not a positional lesson. Verse 9, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. This tells us that what Paul has been discussing here earlier in Romans chapter 8 were statements of your position. That is to say, are you a regenerated or yet an unregenerated person? And so if you are born of the Spirit, then as far as his discourse here, you're not in the flesh. Now, I know some people refer to it when they get irritated as well. I got a little in the flesh there. That was something that my dad always said his grandfather would say, a good deacon of the church, if he would get upset. He would say, well, I got a little in the flesh. Well, that's true. We use that verbiage to mean when we get a little sinful or hot under the collar. But in the flesh here is a positional statement. That is to say, that is all they are is flesh. All they are is sin, they are carnally minded, and they are at enmity against God. But if the Spirit lives in you, that's not you. So if you know God and you love God, but you struggle with sin, please understand, you're not the carnal mind. You're not at enmity with God, because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen to this. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If a person is unregenerate, he's not a born-again child of God. We have to be quickened people, regenerated people, indwelt by the Spirit of Christ to be counted as His. 
Now, it's true that there are people that are children of God in a covenant sense who are not yet born of God in a vital sense, but he has reference here to being vitally a son, to being born of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ sent into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Which, by the way, we find that verbiage of crying out, Abba, Father, in verse 15. You can find this in Galatians 4 as well. And if Christ be in you, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. That's the solution to being a person plagued with the sin of the flesh, the nature of the flesh. Well, Christ is going to raise up our dead bodies and quicken them like unto Christ, conformed to his image. And we won't have any more struggles with sin anymore. You can read that in this same chapter, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. Now, verse 12, therefore, because the Spirit lives in us, because the Spirit of Christ has been sent into our hearts, because we are born-again people, because we belong to Jesus, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. That means we owe it to Jesus. That means that it's something that he is owed. We are debtors not to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What is this statement teaching us in verse 13? This is a practical application to the doctrinal principles that Paul has afore described. And you'll see him do this so many times in his writings. When he speaks about salvation, generally there's an exhortation to holiness that would follow. Here, what Paul does he goes to great lengths to describe himself before and after the new birth. He talks about his present struggle and how all of those things will be put behind him one day. And then he says that if we are born again, well, we're not carnal in that sense. We're not at enmity with God as those people who are carnally minded in verse 7 Christ lives in us, and if he lives in us, we owe it to him as debtors, not to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but we are debtors to Christ. We are debtors to God. We are debtors to the Spirit. And so he says here, if you live after the flesh, well, you're going to die. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, the flesh, you shall live. A practical application built upon a doctrinal truth. And that's what the Word of God so commonly is. The Word of God is theological, and theology is practical. It leads to practical changes in our lives. As a debtor, if I live like I did before I knew Jesus, to explain this passage, I will bring suffering and death to my life. Now, the death might be to the joys that I once experienced— I may bring death to my assurance from time to time. I may, if I indulge in the flesh, bring death to my marriage. I might bring death to my relationships. I could bring death to my membership in the Lord's church. I could kill my ministry. Or, worst case scenario, I could even bring death, the end, to my physical life through indulging in sin. So rather than indulging in sin and letting sin kill me here in the world, again, experimentally, as it relates to my experience, I must put to death my sinful urges. 
if I mortify the lusts of the flesh, I will live. Now, this doesn't mean that this is what's required to come to spiritual life or to become born again. Why? Because he already said, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then you're a child of God and therefore a debtor. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. This is an exhortation to those and a warning to those who know Christ that we can preserve our physical lives in this world and the blessing we experience in our lives through obedience and putting to death the lusts of the flesh. If I mortify my sin in this world, I will live as a born-again person. My life will be preserved here. And not only will my life be preserved here, but my life will be more abundant as I sojourn here in the world. Simply put, our lives as God's people are infinitely better if we follow and serve Jesus obediently. Sin is destructive, and we are blessed when we mortify, when we put to death our sinful urges. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.